It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thorncliffe alone looked sullen and unreconciled. This young man had never liked me from the beginning, and in the marks of attention occasionally shown me by his brothers, awkward as they were, he alone had never joined. If it was true, of which, however, I began to have my doubts, that he was considered by the family, or regarded himself, as the destined husband of Miss Vernon, a sentiment of jealousy might have sprung up in his mind from the marked predilection which it was that young lady's pleasure to show for one whom Thorncliffe might, perhaps, think likely to become a dangerous rival. Rashley at last entered, his visage as dark as morning weed, brooding, I could not but doubt, over the unjustifiable and disgraceful insult I had offered to him. I had already settled in my own mind how I was to behave on the occasion, and had schooled myself to believe that true honor consisted not in defending but in apologizing for an injury so much disproportioned to any provocation I might have to allege. I therefore hastened to meet Rashley, and to express myself in the highest degree sorry for the violence with which I had acted on the preceding evening. No circumstances, I said, could have wrung from me a single word of apology save my own consciousness of the impropriety of my behavior. I hoped my cousin would accept of my regrets so sincerely offered, and consider how much of my misconduct was owing to the excessive hospitality of Osbaldistone Hall. "'He shall be friends with thee, lad,' cried the honest knight, in the full effusion of his heart. "'Or darn me if I call him son more. Why, Rashi, dost stand there like a log? Sorry for it is all a gentleman can say, if he happens to do anything awry.' especially over his claret. I served in Hounslow, and should know something, I think, of affairs of honor. Let me hear no more of this, and we'll go in a body and rummage out the badger of Birkenwood Bank. Rashley's face resembled, as I have already noticed, no other countenance that I ever saw. But this singularity lay not only in the features, but in the mode of changing their expression. Other countenances— in altering from grief to joy, or from anger to satisfaction, pass through some brief interval, ere the expression of the predominant passion supersedes entirely that of its predecessor. There is a sort of twilight, like that between the clearing up of the darkness and the rising of the sun, while the swollen muscles subside, the dark eye clears, the forehead relaxes and expands itself, and the whole countenance loses its sterner shades and become serene and placid. 
Rashleigh's face exhibited none of these gradations, but changed almost instantaneously from the expression of one passion to that of the contrary. I can compare it to nothing but the sudden shifting of a scene in the theatre, where, at the whistle of the prompter, a cavern disappears and a grove arises. My attention was strongly arrested by this peculiarity on the present occasion. At Rashleigh's first entrance, black he stood as night. With the same inflexible countenance he heard my excuse and his father's exhortation, and it was not until Sir Hildebrand had done speaking that the cloud cleared away at once, and he expressed, in the kindest and most civil terms, his perfect satisfaction with the very handsome apology I had offered. Indeed, he said, I have so poor a brain myself, when I impose on it the least burden beyond my usual three glasses, that I have only, like honest Cassio, a very vague recollection of the confusion of last night. Remember a mass of things, but nothing distinctly, a quarrel, but nothing wherefore. So, my dear cousin, he continued, shaking me kindly by the hand, conceive how much I am relieved by finding out that I have to receive an apology, instead of having to make one. I will not have a word said upon the subject more. I should be very foolish to institute any scrutiny into an account when the balance, which I expected to be against me, has been so unexpectedly and agreeably struck in my favor. You see, Mr. Osbaldistone, I am practicing the language of Lombard Street, and qualifying myself for my new calling. As I was about to answer, and raised my eyes for the purpose, they encountered those of Miss Vernon, who, having entered the room unobserved during the conversation, had given it her close attention. Abashed and confounded, I fixed my eyes on the ground and made my escape to the breakfast-table, where I heard it among my busy cousins. My uncle, that the events of the preceding day might not pass out of our memory without a practical moral lesson, took the occasion to give Rashleigh and me his serious advice to correct our milksop habits, as he termed them, and gradually to inure our brains to bear a gentlemanlike quantity of liquor, without brawls or breaking of heads. He recommended that we should begin piddling with a regular quart of claret per day, which, with the aid of March beer and brandy, made a handsome competence for a beginner in the art of toping. And for our encouragement, he assured us that he had known many a man who had lived to our years without having drunk a pint of wine at a sitting, who yet, by falling into honest company, and following hearty example, had afterwards been numbered among the best good fellows of the time, and could carry off their six bottles under their belt quietly and comfortably, without brawling or babbling, and be neither sick nor sorry the next morning. Sage as this advice was, and comfortable as was the prospect it held out to me, I profited but little by the exhortation, partly, perhaps, because, as often as I raised my eyes from the table, I observed Miss Vernon's looks fixed on me, in which I thought I could read grave compassion blended with regret and displeasure. I began to consider how I should seek a scene of explanation and apology with her also, when she gave me to understand she was determined to save me the trouble of soliciting an interview. "'Cousin Francis,' she said, addressing me by the same title she used to give to the other Osbaldistones, although I had, properly speaking, no title to be called her kinsman, "'I have encountered this morning a difficult passage in the Divina Commedia of Dante. Will you have the goodness to step to the library and give me your assistance?' 
and when you have unearthed for me the meaning of the obscure Florentine, we will join the rest at Birkenwood Bank and see their luck at unearthing the badger. I signified, of course, my readiness to wait upon her. Rashley made an offer to accompany us. I am something better skilled, he said, at tracking the sense of Dante through the metaphors and elisions of his wild and gloomy poem than at hunting the poor inoffensive hermit yonder out of his cave. Pardon me, Rashley, said Miss Vernon, but as you are to occupy Mr. Francis's place in the counting-house, you must surrender to him the charge of your pupil's education at Osbaldistone Hall. We shall call you in, however, if there is any occasion, so pray do not look so grave upon it. Besides, it is a shame to you not to understand field sports. What will you do should our uncle in Crane Alley ask you the signs by which you track a badger? I true, I true, said Sir Hildebrand, said Sir Hildebrand with a sigh. I misdoubt Rashley will be found short at the leap when he is put to the trial, and he would have learned useful knowledge like his brothers. He was bred up where it grew, I was. But French antics and book-learning, with the new turnips and the rats and the Hanoverians, have changed the world that I had known in old England. But come along with us, Rashi, and carry my hunting-staff, men. Thy cousin lacks none of thy company as now, and I wanna had I crossed. It's ne'er be said there was but one woman in Osbaldistone Hall, and she died for lack of her will. Rashley followed his father as he commanded, not, however, ere he had whispered to Diana, I suppose I must indiscretion bring the courtier ceremony in my company, and knock when I approach the door of the library? No, no, Rashley, said Miss Vernon. Dismiss from your company the false archimage dissimulation, and it will better ensure your free access to our classical consultations. So saying, she led the way to the library, and I followed, like a criminal, I was going to say, to execution. But, as I bethink me, I have used the simile once, if not twice before. Without any simile at all, then, I followed, with a sense of awkward and conscious embarrassment, which I would have given a great deal to shake off. I thought it a degrading and unworthy feeling to attend one on such an occasion, having breathed the air of the continent long enough to have imbibed the notion that lightness, gallantry, and something approaching to well-bred self-assurance should distinguish the gentleman whom a fair lady selects for her companion in a tete-a-tete. -tete. My English feelings, however, were too many for my French education, and I made, I believe, a very pitiful figure when Miss Vernon, seating herself majestically in a huge elbow-chair in the library, like a judge about to hear a cause of importance, signed to me to take a chair opposite to her, which I did, much like the poor fellow who was going to be tried and entered upon conversation in a tone of bitter irony. End of Volume 1, Chapter 12 Rob Roy by Sir Walter Scott Read by Dennis Smith